So welcome to the Do More Good podcast, season three. All good things come in threes, don't they, Kenny? Of course they do. Three musketeers, little pigs, triangles, your degree. <laughs> we should probably know what we're doing by now, right? You'd think so. There are times you have to step away from that and do the bigger, scarier, crunchier, harder work because it pays off in the end. Making sure that the senior people from that organisation get involved with the partnership. It's not scary. The worst thing that can happen is that someone can go, bloody hell, that was a bit of a cock-up. Do I've had a few folk not from Scotland that have said to me, I didn't know you could do that with bagpipes. <laughs> I think the, the message is... Do more good. Yay! Here we are, James, episode number 38 of the Do More Good podcast. How are you? Kenneth, good to see you. Uh, life in the bus lane, mate. I'm okay. You're yeah. not too bad. You've had a busy yeah. day, I hear. I have had a busy day. I've been interviewing today. So come straight from an interview to another interview. So apologies <laughs> in advance if I ask you about where you plan to be in five years or your favourite emoji. But yeah, all good. All your good. favourite emoji? Have you never been asked that? No? I've never been asked that. Ah. What's yeah. yours? Aubergine? No. No. Oh. Smiley face. We'll leave that there. So what have you been up to then, other than interviewing and, and busy at work? Any, any? Yeah, quite, that's it really. Yeah, we've been, we've been quite busy. We've got um, an event this weekend, so prepping for that. Recovering from Great North. All good. What time did you do at Great North in the end? 1.45. 1.45. Pretty, right, Pretty impressive. Pretty yeah. impressive. And we d- obviously, you know, in all of our stewardship comms, we talk about the importance of training. I did three runs. <laughs> so... Uh, <laughs> Don't listen to those charities, people. Living yeah. the life. Yeah. Living How about you? Life. What have you been up to? Yeah, busy. I had a, g- a great weekend last weekend, Swim Serpentine. Uh, Children with Cancer UK Swim Serpentine, to use the full title. But it was absolutely brilliant. It was my favourite event of the year. Beautiful sunny day, comp- helps. Open water, serpentine. And you know what? The best thing for me was just you just see people of all different shapes of sizes. Like, open water swimming is so accessible that it, you know, it didn't look like a, a marathon crowd. It, you, you didn't have to look like an elite athlete to take part. It was, it was just brilliant. There were some, there were some fine specimens on show on Twitter, though, oh. weren't there? <laughs> yes. Yeah, so me and a colleague ended up uh, jumping in the last wave, managed to basically borrow a uh, wetsuit from someone. And, and, and jumped in and it was and you got uh, a stick on stick on Twitter didn't you comments it, underneath I thought it was I pretty did. unfair I know I mean, what maybe, was it you, like maybe you were puffing your chest out and like holding your belly in but that, <laughs> no one should be pointing that out like a big seal basically <laughs> wasn't it but no it was it was great and uh, yeah other than that just been yeah lots lots going on at home start the football season for my little five year old boy okay so I've been doing the FA course the last couple of weeks that's been really fun really enjoyed that and yeah looking forward to the next few weeks and some exciting plans we've got yeah, indeed indeed right? we've yeah. got on yeah. So should we uh, crack on? I know our guest has uh, very kindly brought us to a lovely venue, and I suppose I better introduce him, hadn't I? So our guest this week started his career with Childline in 2003 as a fundraising assistant, whilst also volunteering for the organisation as a counsellor and trainer. After then moving on to volunteer coordinator roles with the likes of London Youth and St John's Ambulance, our guest then moved into a role that would be the start of his career in comms as training and communications manager at Chance UK. And after four years at this organisation, he went on to be the head of marketing at Beat Bullying. And then in May 2011, he decided he wanted to continue to work in the sector as a consultant on digital marketing, helping charities to use digital marketing to achieve their goals. 
After a stint as a, as a solo consultant, I'm guessing, he then went on in 2014 to found the award-winning agency Platypus Digital. And so Platypus Digital now help charities such as Sightsavers, Bernardo's and Battersea to raise more money and reach more people online. And Platypus has also trained over 100 UK charities through its face-to-face training and attracted over 2,000 sign-ups globally to its online digital course for charities. So he's doing quite a lot and a busy man. He was also, in 2015, named one of the top 50 most influential fundraisers by Fundraising Magazine. I think his stakes have gone up since then. That, yeah. was a, that was a while ago. So we're really happy to welcome Matt Collins to the Do More Good podcast. Hello, how's it going? Yeah, good, Matt. Thank you so much for your time. and Thank you for having me. What a pleasure to be here. No, no Matt, worries. I'm going to kick off with the big one. Hit What's me. your favourite emoji? My favourite emoji is definitely grimacing emoji. So there's so many kind of like emails and messages that you're sending and you're talking about. And it's almost like, oh, it's a bit awkward, but I've got to say it. And the grimacing emoji is just perfect for that. Okay. So that is definitely my favourite. Brilliant. <laughs> and that is why one of the top guys. And that is why, that is why he's, he's gone at top 10 now. Top yeah, 10. Top 10. <laughs> so Matt, as I just touched on, you've had a, a long career in the, in, the, in the charity sector or the social good sector. Do you mind just kind of taking us back to the beginning and just talking about where it all started and, and kind of what's brought you to now being the founder of Platypus Digital and where you are today? I would say, now this is going back very far, the very start of that career, I was about 11 and mm-hmm. I was driving, and I, was, well, I wasn't driving, my dad was driving in our car and I was with him and for some reason I probably asked him the question that a lot of 11 year old boys asked their dads and what, it was just what should I be when I grew up, just like talking about that kind of stuff from yeah. an 11 year old's perspective. And he said, well, you know, you can do lots of things, any, any number of things, but if you can, you should try and do something that, I don't know how you put it, but does some good in the world, like makes people happier in some way, if you can. And he did teaching and he uh, spoke on the radio quite a bit. And I was like, oh, so how does speaking on the radio make people happy then? Is that, are you really good at it and do you make people happy that way? He managed to get out of that one somehow. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but like, I, looking back, that definitely planted a seed in my brain that like maybe if I'm going to you know, do blood, sweat and tears and toil away for a decade, it should probably be for, like, for, to help someone somehow. I met a guy at university that I lived with for a year as a housemate of mine, still friend now. Um, I remember him saying something along the lines of he didn't want to like work really hard just to buy shareholders a bigger swimming pool. Like he wanted to do, <laughs> you know, he wanted to do something yeah. kind of good. And he's sort of very involved in the union sort of scene. And mm. that's kind of been his career. So he really believes in workers' rights and stuff like that. So that, that was probably very influential, too. So I've only ever worked for charities. Really? This, is, this is the first time that I've worked for a company and that company only works for charities. Yeah. So yeah, that's nice. uh, like my life in that sense. That's, that's pro- if that's not going too deep into my No, your dad, seems, your dad yeah. seems like a good guy. I think so. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's interesting. We had a chat at home with my wife the other day about our eldest daughter who's keen to go on, the, on a climate change rally. And she said, but it will, it will mean I have to have a day out of school. So my wife said, what do you think about that? How do you, you know, are you happy with that? Is that a sensible thing to do? Uh, and I said, well, my KPIs around being a parent are not about uh, my eldest turning up to school every day. It's about bringing up a well-rounded individual that's got morals and views and looks after other people, has empathy. And that's, what, that, that's my aim, not to t- make sure she's at school every day. Mm. So as long as she really wants to go and it's not just an excuse to get out of school, <laughs> then I'm, I'm cool with that. And it sounds like similar with your dad that, that there was a bigger picture than not necessarily just go and be a lawyer <laughs> it was do something that's, that's 
good for the world. Yeah, absolutely. And well, funny you had that conversation because just the weekend gone, I had a similar conversation with my five-year-old daughter. So, um, Are I they was in cahoots? So they all doing this? <laughs> they're all getting together. Our kids have all got together and said, "I know what we'll do to wind them up, guys." Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Secret WhatsApp groups in yeah, the evening or whatever. Say. But yeah, it was funny because I, so I popped out for a couple of hours to do some. It was a bit of volunteering, basically around climate change, and and she was like, "Where are you going?" And I was like, uh, "Right." So this is the first conversation I've ever had with her about you know, the climate crisis or anything like that at all. And so how am I going to play this? How is she going to be interested? And how can I tell it to her in a way that she'll care about? Um, so I, I know what every good parent does in a situation like that and turns to the internet and mm. turns to YouTube. Mm. So there'll be a child-friendly animation on here mm. and they'll get it really, really quickly. So I'd look for something and it was, it was three minutes long. It was narrated by a child. There wasn't anything too kind of upsetting on, on there. I got to the end of it and she didn't say anything and I was like, oh, maybe she didn't really care or she didn't really get it. And then she just started crying. Wow. I was like, well, I mean, it was the, the, there was nothing upsetting in the video. I hadn't said anything upsetting. Mm. I said, what's wrong? What's wrong? She, that's not normally what she does. not like a very teary kid. I'm like, I was giving her hugs and stuff and I'm trying to get her to tell me what was wrong. And she said, I'll, t- I'll tell you why I'm crying, daddy. And she walked over to the another part of the playroom and lifted up an inflatable globe that was there. And she said, if this planet gets too hot, we'll have to leave. Oh and she was God. like really upset about this. I hadn't said anything yeah, about yeah, leaving yeah. the planet. The video hadn't said anything, but this, she just made these connections in her head. And ever since then, well, we talked about the things that you can do, which is always trying to focus on. Look, you can recycle. You can even eat less meat. And mm-hmm. she's really running with that. And now, like, if there's ever a light that's on and we're not in that room, she's like, Daddy, oh, no, the light's been left on. We're wasting energy and the world will heat up. She'd run with it. It's amazing. See, it used to be my dad that used to shout that when you left the lights on when you were a kid, right? <laughs> it was the other way around. Right? It was the electricity no. bill. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, turn that bloody light off, will you? Um, and now it's our kids telling us to <laughs> yeah, do it. Exactly. Well, there you go. So, well, that actually was a Geordie. Turn that bloody light off, will you? <laughs> So, yeah, something like that. I think it's an interesting you both say that because, I mean, I have two, uh, three children un- under nine as well. And, and, and I was amazed going away on holiday and they were talking about litter on the street. And it's almost it makes you start thinking about what are they learning at school? Like they're getting this from somewhere. They're not obviously. Why not? They don't bloody turn up. They're always well, yeah, on climate exactly. rallies. But it's yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's great that it's, it's captured that generation's imagination and hopefully they can help persuade us all. But Matt, just going back to your career so you said you've known nothing but charities and you've obviously worked some big charities london use and john's ambulance o- over the years what was it like during those early days when you kind of first got into your first charity job can you can you think that far back and yeah definitely no, i remember it really well because childline probably anyone of my age and you know many other ages childline was like a really famous brand you know name it was the household name charity I remember um, writing to Childline myself probably around that same time, 11, 12, and getting a letter back. And it was probably just like the most validated, to be honest, that I ever felt. Like someone has said, recognize this is a problem here, is what you can think about. And it was just like I was holding a letter almost from a celebrity. It almost Mm. felt like. So from the outside, that's what Childline was to me. It was like this incredible organization. So when they offered me the job, I was absolutely over the moon. And I remember wanting to do more than I was doing. So I think I was doing kind of an administration sort of focused job. The office was based above um, the McDonald's on Market Street in Manchester. Right. And uh, it had really terrible carpets because (laughs) McDonald's had donated (laughs) the offices, I think, anyway. Um, But yeah, I remember being super excited by it. And it's one of those rare charities, and Battersea is another one, actually, where the, the cause is part of the building. You're surrounded by what's really happening because from the floor above our office... 
was the counselling room. Mm. So you'd pop up there to give some piece of paper to someone. Mm. And people would be on the phones talking to the kids. And I was just like, it's amazing what they're doing. Mm. And got involved that way. I love that, about that being the aspiration as a kid. You wanted to go and work for... T- you hear about it with footballers, don't you? I always wanted to play for this team. And now I get to... You know, I was mm. used to stand on the terraces. And now mm. I play for the team and that sort of thing. And that always goes down very well with the fans. They all say it. But saying that as, a, as somebody who is desperate to work for a charity and then they offer you a job and you get that gig. We've talked in previous episodes around making fundraising a career that, that young people want to do. So as they're at school and maybe at university, they want to go and work for Greenpeace, mm. for ARUK. They desperately want to get a gig at Sue Ryder. Mm. That's where they want to go. That's nice. Yeah, and, and charities forget that. They forget what a celebrity their organisation is to yes. their supporters, to service users, you know, just even like glimpses of the office day to day is just something that people really want to see because they're you know they're from the outside like wow from the inside it's just work you know yeah. but from the outside people really care and so then you went on to i mean you obviously worked your way up and went through a, a couple of charities as a lot of people do during those early years and then finally was it your first head of job when you went to head of marketing at beat bullying was that's that, right yeah was that right yeah how old were you at that stage you know Ooh, let's see i would have been like 30 yeah i'd say what was that like at that time in terms of the, the sector and some of the challenges you were facing then? Were, I don't know much about beat bullying. Are they still still going? Is no, it? they folded in 20, I want to say 2014, something right. like that, a, f- a couple of years after I left. Um, but it was a really interesting place because, again, from the outside to me as a charity, mm. they were a sort of a celebrity charity. Like they had all these incredible celebrity partnerships. They, you know, they had a lot of great people wanting to work there. And a very charismatic chief executive who, mm. uh, you know, I thought could, I could learn a lot from. And the culture there was really different. I probably learned probably more in three months than I had possibly in the previous three wow. years. Because it really did drive you, drive you forward in lots of different ways. And it was probably around that time that the seeds were sort of sown in my head to go it alone and mm. to actually, you know, strike out and do things kind of my way, really. Mm. Mm. Oh, that's interesting because I was going to say, having only worked in charities, is there ever a point where you thought, Maybe I'll go and try something else. Have you ever, have you always felt no? This was the right thing for me. Clearly not. At that point, you thought actually I'll, I'll do something slightly different. But before that, you know, you, your dad suggested it. You ended up doing it. You worked for the the dream company you wanted to, and then did it did it live up to expectations? No, I would say like everywhere when you see it from the outside, when you get into the inside, it's there's lots of amazing things about it. But ultimately, it's a place of work. Yeah. And, you know, like most people in their jobs, they're having meetings, they're typing documents, they're having phone calls. And it just depends what those phone calls and meetings and documents are about. That's where it varies. But no, like like everyone in the sector, leaving the sector and doing something else definitely crossed my mind. And that's happening more and more now. People Mm. are actually leaving the sector you know, there's a bit of a talent drain a little bit at the minute. And while it crossed my mind, it was it quickly just crossed out again. I can't see why I would. Like I could, I guess, earn money, more money elsewhere. But like I did a law degree. I could have become a lawyer mm. and, you know, earned a huge amount of money. But Do you think that talent drain, I mean, I know I've heard quite a few people speak on it. And, and I, I haven't seen any of the stats or, or anything that kind of backs it up. But I guess, in your opinion, what do you think the main reason is for that talent drain in terms of people leaving the sector? I think there's loads of different factors behind it. I don't think that people are any less committed to the charities they work for now than they ever have been. Yeah. Like that burning desire to change people's lives is 
super present in people. Like people really care about the causes they're working for. Absolutely. Sometimes they've wanted to work for those causes for many years because yeah. they, they feel so passionate about it. They accepted lower paychecks than they would get in the corporate sector. Like that was always there. To me, and you know, I'm quite focused on the digital side of things mm. in, in charities, so slightly narrow in, in that respect. I think it's probably the pace of change as a sector that frustrates a lot of people. And so they, they, they see, they have all these great skills in Google Ads and search marketing and social advertising and um, digital project management, all these great things that they've picked up and taught themselves, you know, read blogs, done online trainings, peer mm. learning. And they're in their charities and there's just some sort of cultural reluctance to take on these new ways of working and so they can't use the existing skills they have never mind learn new ones Mm. and so they think the only way i'm going to push myself forward is by going to an organization that will let me use these amazing skills and have have the impact that i want to have that's just a theory that's that's just from talking to some people who have left the sector but um it would make sense though i think from from what you're saying i mean even if my limited experiences so i came into to the charity and fundraising world quite late in my career but kind of getting in and then you kind of start talking to your peers and people that work at other charities in fundraising which is obviously where most of my background comes from and they're very typical in terms of structures you know I, I guess if you were to look at any other industry probably insurance finance I'm sure they're quite but you know it's it seems that that structure is pretty much replicated at everyone yes some organizations have the luxury of an innovation team or or as we were talking about before we started, they may have an in-house creative department. But it seems like they haven't really changed much in terms of structure for the last, I don't know, what, 10, 15, 20 years? Would that would that be right for you? Do yeah, you know? and there's some charities that are doing that really well. And, and none of this applies to them. So Parkinson's UK would be a great right. example. The absolute key at that organization has been two very senior people in the organization who understand the importance of investing in the right areas of digital disciplines and not just like hire someone to do the social media and, that, and that's it. Yep. Use the center design and data scientists and stuff like that, really in-depth stuff. So Steve Ford, the chief exec, and Julie Dodds, the, the director of um, digital and communications there. So they are just, they just understand it and like the budget cycles and the planning cycles are such that that's the absolute key dependency in an mm. organization like that is how much the, the directors and the chief exec care about it and are willing to, you know, fight for the investment from, from the board. So there's some charities that are doing this absolutely brilliantly, mm. but there's not enough jobs to go around. Well, well funnily enough, you, you say that. We've lost a member of the team today to Parkinson's UK. So, <laughs> too uh, soon? Too soon. I'm, still, I'm still smarting from that one, yeah. And there's um, lots of, the, the truth is that lots of people want to work for that organisation because yeah. they see that investment from the outside, they see the types of things they're working on, and they've become a celebrity charity now to people in the sector. Because, and I know some fantastic people who've gone to work there yeah. from other organisations. And, oh, that, and they'll another, keep doing it. Another fantastic person going to work there, yeah. So you touched on it earlier, but there was a point uh, where you decided that you wanted to move on and go and set up your own agency. What what was the motivation behind that? Why did you decide to do that? Well, there's probably a Chance UK actually. So Chance UK is a really great organisation. They provide mentoring for uh, five to eleven year olds with behavioural difficulties. The idea being that if they get some mentoring at that stage, they're less likely to go on to um, criminal behaviour later in life. Um, it's a really awesome organization, really great culture there. And one of the things I had to do as the kind of comms guy was get people to the volunteer information evenings. So it's just like an open evening, a volunteer, somebody who's interested in volunteering mm. and mentoring a child comes along, finds out about it, hears from a current mentor, asks any questions they've got. We try and convince them to apply. 
And they they were good. They happened every now and again, and we get ten, fifteen people along, which is you know good enough. Yeah. And around that time, this is years ago now. I thought there's this new platform called Eventbrite, and you could put your events online. Wow! I know it would, ne- it would never catch on. Never. <laughs> That's what I thought. I thought, well, but you know what? I'll give it a go anyway. At least I can communicate with people en masse, and it'll be nice and easy then. So I stuck the volunteer information evenings on on Eventbrite, and. Lo and behold, the next one is more like 20 people, and the one after that is more like 25 people. And more people than, than turned up actually had signed up on the list, so we were growing our email list that way. And it just seems that just the fact that it was digital, the fact that it was online, was connecting this charity to the people it needed to reach. Mm. And I just find that so exciting. I'm one of, like, just the idea of connecting people I find really, it's something I really care about. I'm one of these people with not like one big group of friends, but lots of small groups of yeah, friends. And when they all come to my birthday or something like that, and I see groups of friends that have never really chatted to each other, talking to each other, I'm like, <laughs> God, isn't that great? I don't know why. Just like new connections I find fantastic. Yeah. Which makes me nervous. <laughs> what, what are they talking, what are they about? talking about? If yeah. they're looking over and laughing and pointing... Yeah, I'd be nervous. I know. Don't never let them get together. And there was an article in the Evening Standard written by a former mentor who wrote about his relationship with the child that he mentored really, really beautifully. And because our events were on Eventbrite, people then started looking for the organization and signed up en masse to those evenings. And we must have had 30, 35 people. We ran out of chairs. We couldn't get enough chairs to get people in for two or three of them because he'd written such an amazing story. And then I started to see the connection between online and offline there as well. Um, so from that, I thought, well, wouldn't it be amazing if we could do this for lots of charities, mm. you know, not just one charity. If we could show them how just using these tools and getting to understand digital marketing as well as offline marketing. And what year was this? Sorry, just to... This is uh, 2011, I want to say. Okay. Right. Yeah, so it was actually before I joined Be Bullying, but yeah. that's, that's where the sort of season yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. No, yeah, And yeah. then I was running social on, on Be Bullying, and I remember doing a survey of just trying to get people's bullying experiences just to hear about it in a way of engaging mm. people. And there was like 90 people saying this happened to me and it was yeah. really, really powerful stuff. And it was just through Google form, mm. you know, just the act simple of making stuff. it easy, simple, you know, way of connecting them. And we had this amazing content and really moving stories. Wow. So I thought we could do that for, do that for lots of charities. Mm. And there was a really awesome event called NFP Tweet Up around that time, which is just, which is just, which is just a meet We were up. talking to Kirsty Marins about that. Oh, yeah. fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I met Kirsty at that event. I met lots of other people. Uh, Rachel Beer, um, Adrian Cockrell, um, so many really great people I learned so many things from. People sharing everything they knew about their charity and their campaigns, what they'd learned. And just made so many awesome connections there that I thought, no, I can, I can, I can do this. I could definitely run an agency and connect loads of charities to loads of people because that's, that's where things are heading. That's how people are connecting with each other now. And uh, so it has proved to be, I yeah, think, nice. I you think right. you agree. You're yeah. Right. yeah. And so, yeah you're the, so, then, so then a couple of years forward, you're doing a bit of consultancy on your own. Uh, sorry, you went through the role first and then you went out on as, as a consultant. And then 2014, you decided to, was it 2014, sorry, you decided to start? That's right. Yeah. Going from a sole trader as a consultant into, right, let's go serious on this. Can you talk through your, your mindset at that point? Was there, was there some, were you scared? Were you, were you, or were you just gung, gung-ho, let's go for it? The, yeah, I mean, a bit of both, definitely. Definitely mm-hmm. a little bit scared. But again, from talking to so many great people there who kind of ran their own companies there, I had some really amazing advice. And they said, well, you know what? Well, become comfortable with the worst case scenario. Mm-hmm. And the worst case scenario is it doesn't work. And I have to get a job somewhere Start else. Again. Yeah. I mean, that's <laughs> not a terrible worst case scenario, is it? As, as worst case scenarios go. Yeah. So it's definitely a little bit nervous. But 
I, like it just felt sort of right. I mm. knew I didn't want it to be just about me. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to just be a freelancer and just like build like my own personal brand. I wanted it to be about something that was recognized as sort of out, outside me that wasn't called me. Mm. And it wouldn't just be me. Like mm. there would be other people involved and that together we could, you know, deliver even more. And how many are you now? We are just about to hire our eighth uh, employee. Really? So pro- Front-end pro- end developer, I think, isn't it? Uh, that's sort of? ninth, actually. Oh, is that ninth? Yeah, oh, yeah. Look at that. Nine, nine. It's all happening. Nine. It's all happening. application in. That's it. <laughs> you know, I'll put in a good word, don't we? Wow. Yeah, so um, that's employees. We have um, a group of regular freelancers that we're using uh, all the time that mm. are kind of part of the team. We're HR, we finance, all the kind of proper organizations. Do you, do you find in terms of your USP as an agency, I guess, that you focus solely on the charity sector and you understand the charity sector having, you know, your, the, the DNA of the organization shows that. Do you recruit from within the sector or do you tend to look outside and try and bring in those people who maybe want to do more good? Uh, yeah, so for us, one of the big values, and we're really big on our values actually yes. meaning something and not just kind of being sort of retrofitted, is to show that you really care about charities. Mm. You want to care about charities, you have to care about your colleagues, but have a real passion and interest in the life-saving work that charities do. And we look for that in the application, we look for it in the interview. One of the best ways of showing that you care about charities is having a career in the charity sector. Yeah. Um, you know, we have a, like, a bit of a profile in the sector. We've got an email list of people who work in the sector. Our social media followers are working in the sector. So when we tweet our jobs, people in the sector see it. Yes. And one, and one of the things we're looking for is, is that real passion. And if they can talk about, like the, one of the questions we ask is, what's your favorite charity and why? Mm. It doesn't have to be the one you work for. Mm. But we're looking to hear real interests. And we're looking for almost... Not looking for like crackling emotional voices, but we're looking to hear that they there's real emotion and that they really care about the organisation they're talking mm. about. So yeah, so almost I would say, as far as I know, everyone has had previous jobs in the sector. sector. Some mm. their entire career has been in the sector. Mm. Some most of their career has been in the sector. But yeah, I think we're trying to show that if you have a real in depth understanding of what charities do, mm. some of the challenges that they face. That you can, that we can create better campaigns and get better results. As after mm. that. when you when you ask people about their favourite charities, you don't have to say who, but do the same names crop up, or is it quite individual? I would say it does vary, but you know, there's probably a, a skew towards the bigger, more well-known charities as a group, not like a single charity that is is dominating. But I definitely, said I've heard more than one answer from uh, people mentioning big household name organisations. Yeah. Which is understandable because a lot of, you know, the reason you might have heard of them is because of a huge campaign or like a brand awareness campaign or the fact they've just been around for a long time. But definitely some have mentioned like some like amazing local community organisations, small ones. Yeah, yeah. No. yeah. We'd, we'd love to give more voice to small ones. And I think that's something that we've, we've spoken about on the podcast is like we need to get, if there's anyone listening who's from a small charity and has got a story to tell, we want to, I know we've got a couple kind of Essentially, if up. there's anyone listening. Well, <laughs> yeah, basically, <laughs> Matt, just picking up on something you say, which I think rings really true for me when I, you know, as I say, kind of looking through your Twitter feed and stuff. And one of the things that, that jumped out for me this week was around you guys launching the app Spill as a benefit to your employees. And for those of you that not well, actually, I'll let you explain. You probably will explain it better than I will. But I just thought when we're now, when mental health has been talked about so much, when as a charity sector and as an agency sector, advertising and, and generally mental health is so much higher in people's awareness, I thought that was a great signal 
of your intentions as an organisation and what you stand for. Can you just talk a bit more about what it is and why you put it in? Yeah, so Spill is a, a messaging-based therapy app, mm. essentially. So it's, it's an app on your phone. It's really just messages between you and a qualified counsellor about anything you want to talk about. And they sort of sell it into businesses, essentially, to offer to their employees. And you pay a certain flat fee, depending how many employees you have. And then that organization can offer free counseling, message-based counseling to its employees. And then the employees can talk about work stuff. They can talk about personal stuff, home life stuff, stuff from their childhood, stuff from not anything that's on their mind. The idea is that it's a kind of like early intervention app, essentially. Mm. It's pre-crisis. Yep. So you're not calling when you're at your wits end yep. and you're on the verge of like very serious mental health issues. It's kind of bleeding the radiator slowly kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, so like we find, saw, saw it online. We met them, really like their values. They work with Monzo. They work with Deliveroo. They, like, they're offering it to really big forward-thinking organizations. And so I wanted to offer it too because how... How to say this without sounding really poncy, but like how happy and the well-being of my team is literally something that keeps me up at night. Mm. I like if uh, if I'm if I'm worried about a particular person or group of people that they're struggling with, say workload or any particular issue. If that's on my mind, like m- like more than anything else, that's that's what I think about. Mm. Um, and so uh, we are far. If they're up at night, so are you. Quite. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> if you feel a bit like mm-hmm. that, yeah. So. And there's no easy solutions to all of that. Like, we work in an agency. Like, work is up and down. We're not the typical, or the stereotypical, I should say, agency that's, like, driving everyone to 14-hour days and everyone's Mm. on the verge of a mental breakdown all the time. I don't think we're that. I work hard to make us not that. But we're imperfect in lots of ways. And I thought this was one of the ways in which we could just, like, support our team. Like, retention's really important to me. I've got a really, really talented team, and I want to keep them all there. And want them to be happy, and this is just one of the ways in which we're offering. You know, and we're we're very early in, and the only thing I will find out about, like their usage of the app, is how many people are using it. I'll never. I'm, there's no way I can know the contents of the conversations. It's a very private, personal thing. Confidential, that they, right? Totally yeah. confidential, absolutely. Yeah. And if people use it, then then great. But I, I just I just think, especially in agency land, which yeah, is yeah, effectively yeah. where we are, and we share more values with the charity sector than the agency sector, mm. really. Um, caring about your employees and and like just offering them interventions they'll actually use, I think is useful as well. Because like we could pay for free face to face counselling or whatever, but that's such a big investment these days. You wear a digital agency after all, so we're we're giving this a go. There's something that you can do quite surreptitiously around just messaging an app on your phone. You don't have to take time off of work to go to an appointment. You're mm. not going to worry about being spotted somewhere. Exactly. Just into people's lifestyles. Exactly, yeah. I just want to pick up on one point you made there, Matt, about the fact that you're saying if someone in your team's not sleeping, you're not sleeping. How do you deal with that yourself as a business owner, the, the, the stress and strain of running a business and having responsibility for eight, almost nine individuals? I have a fantastic wife who I talk to about Credit this to the, stuff. Shout out to the wife. <laughs> <laughs> uh, who I talk uh, to about this stuff an awful lot. Mm. And, like, she's got a great habit of just distilling the nub of the issue and reflecting it back to me very quickly. I use Spill myself. So yeah. I, 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 uh, I message a counsellor. They message me back twice a week. And it's great because so the counsellor messages me on a Monday and a Thursday. Mm-hmm. So in between those times... It's like a chat that they're just not responding to. So I can, as soon as I think of something, I can just chuck it on there. And then she's going to look at that all in one go. Wow, and so I can almost kind of make progress in 
issues or just have a thought about the thing I'm talking about. I just write it down as I go. Um, mm. So I find that really useful as that well. Sounds good. I journal, which is one of the big things, the big benefits of Spill. I just, yeah. I just write things down and that yeah. clarifies issues an awful lot. Yeah, I think th- those those would be the main ways. And then also it's just about taking care of myself, to be yeah, honest. Yeah, yeah. The classic ways. Uh, I run as much as I can. Mm-hmm. I exercise most days. I meditate with Headspace a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, those make a huge, huge difference. And then there's some fantastic people in the sector that I talk to. James Gatsby, Pete, William Joseph is a really great guy. I speak to him a lot about mm-hmm. agency life. He's in a similar position to me over at William Joseph. Yeah, he's one of the, the greatest people you can talk to about anything, really. But like, he's a great peer in that respect. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And sorry, I didn't mean to get personal then. No. I think it's just like, you know, when you think about, as I said, kind of touching on the on spillers and app, and we talk about the mental health of people in the charity sector and the fact that people are working longer and harder and and mental health is becoming more of a prominent issue. I think, you know, hearing your story, who's someone who's worked in the sector, gone out on their own, you know, now responsible for a, a company of eight or nine. It's it's quite God. That sound that will sound to quite a lot of people. That's quite daunting. That might scary. Like so, I think that's why I was kind of exploring that. Yeah, and I'm more than happy to talk about that stuff. Mm. I think we should talk about it more. Yeah. I believe in no stigma. Mm. Um, I'm happy to disclose the fact that I get message based therapy from mm. someone. I think everyone can use it if if they want to. Mm. Not an easy thing to talk about, but I'm more than happy to talk about it. Yeah. I think the more you talk about things and normalize things. Then, uh, then the easier it is for everyone to um, feel okay about it. So I guess it is, it is that kind of approach which led to you being awarded uh, an IOF award for commitment to the sector. Can you tell us a little bit about that? And uh, it's, you know, play up the modesty as much as you like. But I mean, you, you've got it with you, so uh. <laughs> I bring it everywhere I go. <laughs> I, I kind of show it when I'm getting shown to a table in restaurants. You know, uh, we were awarded the highly commended in that category. Uh, I should say, so we didn't technically win it, but being highly commended is is really amazing. I would have to say because uh, we are so embedded in the sector, we're all drawn from the sector. I've only ever worked for the sector. And we do, like, we, we, we hope we do, things for the sector that aren't just about like making money off the sector. Yeah. That it genuinely is the only awards that I really, really want to win. It's not the only one that we enter, but it's like one number one on my list. We'll be back there again next year. Yeah. I, you know, I, I really want to, to win it maybe more than once. Okay, here's a question. What could you do differently next year than that you've done this year that's got you commended as opposed to winning it next year? Well, raise our game across the board. I think when we looked at what we could have done better, it was really about scale, actually. And I think this is is one of our big challenges generally. You know, we're relatively small as an agency, Mm. and so our impact is is capped a little bit. Yes. So if we want to do more, then we need to do more for more people, I suppose. So that's what we'd be thinking about probably the first quarter of next year mm. when uh, when they're thinking about... But, you know, saying all that, it was fantastic to have it. It's got pride of place. Mm. And people seem really happy for us, which is so nice. Oh, um, that's, yeah, that's good. Yeah. A, there was a key point that you mentioned at the beginning of that there, that you will be entering it again. And that, that's, that's something about awards that people don't often consider. The only way you win awards is by entering the awards. <laughs> yeah. So get your... You know, get your nominations in for yourself. Get your teams in. Yeah, absolutely. Be be bold about that. Oh, absolutely. So we run the Social CEOs Awards with Zoe Ammer. And one of the things that seems to hold people back when we talk about the awards is like, well, I'm not a CEO or I'm not doing things amazing. But I know what they are doing. And it's better than some of the nominations we have received. So a lot of it is just about going, you know what, this is is good. I'll tell people about it and, and shout a bit about it. Especially the sector awards. 
So over in agency land, saying you're an award-winning agency is just like saying you're an agency. <laughs> it doesn't set you apart at all. It's yeah. it's not really what kind of gets you where you need to go. It's like when you go to your local takeaway and he's got five stars from some obscure regulator that you've never ever heard of, right? It's just, yeah, there's quite quite a lot of them going around in agency land. I'm yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, sure. exactly. There is, and we're trying to stand stand as a charity agency not mm. as just a general agency mm. yeah so Matt I just wanted to kind of kind of start probably wrapping this up and you know thanks again for your time and your insight it's, it's really great to meet you but just wanted to finish off by talking a little bit about the future of, of the sector and I know when we were talking or we were discussing the podcast today you were talking about obviously digital and change and what do, what do you see as the, the future and some, what are some of the challenges that we're going to face as a sector Ooh, that's a tricky question. There's, was it Bill Gates who said that you overestimate the pace in, of change in two years and underestimate the pace of change in ten years? Like so, that. like, what in what's going to be happening in ten years? You wouldn't be able to understand. You know, it's yes. only just over ten years ago when smartphones first started. Now, literally, everyone has one. Yeah. But we also think in two years' time things will be really different, and they actually probably won't be that different. No. I'm going to have very similar challenges that we have now. Mm. The two main challenges I see the sector as having is number one, just the for the digital side of things. It's just the understanding. And I think it can be very easy when you do have understanding of what digital marketing can achieve and um, user-centered design and all that kind of stuff. When you do understand it, you can just get very frustrated and go, oh, people don't get it. Directors mm. don't get it. CEOs don't get it. Well, it's your job then to try to explain it and in ways that they're actually going to hear, not just the ways you fancy using or like if you want to rant about it, you can rant about it, but it won't get you where you need to go. So unless there's some more understanding then we won't get any further than, than we are now. Mm. And to some extent, it's a funding thing as well. There, you know, there's a big mindset in startup and company land, if you like, about investing. Yes. I'm going to pay lots of money now. We won't see any return, possibly for years and years. And like fun, classic fundraisers get this. Like if you launch a new event, it's a good chance you'll lose money in the first year. Yeah. If you're recruiting donors, you'll probably have an ROI less than one, which means you lost money in the first year. But that you're building something. So that same mindset has to be applied to all of these great techniques. They're going to make an investment in year one, two, three. You might not see any return mm. financially anyway until maybe year four. And if we can get that mindset together as a sector, yeah. like there's no end to, to what we can do. But everyone's very busy changing the world, so that's, mm. that's, that's a big challenge. But, you know, we'll definitely get there, but it's, it's just a case of everyone getting together and working out how we can make those changes. Yeah. No, that's it's, really it's tricky with having, so let's say, four-year plans around an, an event making money when we have such high turnover within the sector as well. So getting mm. everyone to commit to longer-term plans and holding, believing in the, uh, the initial process and the initial research that led to the, the plan in the first place, and then holding on to people to see it through. And, and ownership yeah. as well, I guess, right? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? If it's, yeah. if it's put together by someone and they said, right, four years, we're gonna, and then they leave, whatever, it makes it more difficult to get that investment past the board of trustees if the board of trustees are saying well can you tell me that this team who's going to spend this whatever million quid it is or whatever it is are going to be around in the next few yeah. years and you can't necessarily guarantee that and also it kind of it, i mean I've, i know i've been doing it today but interviewing the right people not asking them questions about emojis asking yeah, them bigger well, questions than that i think maybe you just need to focus on the emojis more <laughs> and really screen people at the start <laughs> maybe get them to write their emojis at application stage yeah. i think that might be the real secret maybe that's that, the key yeah that's i the think one. so i think the more we can connect the people who do have the knowledge and understanding with the people who don't mm. and just get everyone sharing and talking about it rather than the kind of echo chamber sometimes where mm. you're just saying i know about this i care about this to people who also already know and care about it yes you absolutely have yes. to connect with people who aren't quite there 
and that's when you start seeing real change. Yeah. yeah. Look, Matt, I think that's a great note to kind of wrap it up on. So we have some quick-fire questions that we've adjusted, actually, oh. for the first time in our... our first guinea pig on first new Yeah, you're a, you're a knight of first tonight. I'm excited. We'll see. So the first one. If you could transport yourself back in time to meet your 20-year-old self, what piece of advice would you give about your future life and why? Start the business sooner. Really? Yeah, oh, definitely. I mean, how old was I when I started Platypus? 35? Yeah, it was 34, 35. And not that that's like old at all, but I think I'd probably say this to anyone in their 20s, actually, you know way, way more than you think you do. Yeah. And you probably know way more than your boss. Yeah. And you know way more than your colleagues. <laughs> and not that everyone should start their own business, but if they're minded to and if they even have the kernel of desire... And you should definitely do it. So I'd you say start your business You certainly sooner. should. You were driving at 11. So you were well, <laughs> <laughs> you were well ahead start of Start your driving instructor <laughs> business at 11. Just go for it. Driving I don't think there's around. anything better than meeting a 20-year-old who knows that. You know when you meet them, and you meet them occasionally. Oh, God, yeah. they're terrifying. <laughs> yeah, they're they absolutely are. terrifying. Absolutely. absolutely. But oh. you meet one, and they have, the, and they almost... They, they, they've seen the future. They know that they... How, yeah. do, do you know what I mean? I like think the, the problem is... Well, the problem is... The great thing is they have role models about that. Like Mark yeah. Zuckerberg starting this at True. college, you know. Like yeah. they can see people who've been young and been successful and they think, oh, I could do that too. I, yeah. Even younger. My, the reason that my kids want to go on the climate change rally is because of a, a very young girl, Greta Thunberg. Right. They, yeah. they see her as a real role model and want yeah, to emulate yeah. her they love her absolutely yeah. she's, she's fantastic just giving the side eye to Trump they bloody yeah great yeah yeah, yeah. Good. love it question number two and I think we may have already covered this so feel free to, to uh, refer back but can you tell us about a, a life hack or product, productivity tool either a habit or a skill that you've taught yourself recently you think everybody needs to know about oh it's going to be superhuman the email app have you heard of this? I have heard about this. I have, and I know that you use it. I do. I saw that you, I can't remember how is it, on your signature or something, I yeah. saw that you use it. And I'd only recently heard about it, And because you have to apply to get it. It's like the early days of Gmail. Is it a beta? You, you have to apply to get it. That's then, right. Yeah. 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 Tell um, us more. Tell us more. So this is an email app with a difference. The main thing that people remember about Superhuman is that it's £20 a month. Right. So it is not a free email app by any stretch of the imagination. And their big promise is that they'll have the time it takes you to deal with your email. So what they've done is they've built a lightning fast uh, desktop web. And at the minute, only iOS, but it's like eventually Android email app that lets you deal with your email so much faster. The principle being that everything is keyboard based and everything has a shortcut. Mm-hmm. And, quick, and they've built a really, really fast app. It's just as fast online. It, it archives things quickly. Doing everything on shortcuts makes things very fast. It's and you kind of need to, to use it wow. to see how fast it is. And I just believe that while email is amazing at connecting everyone mm. digitally, like everyone has an email address and we can all email each other, it does. It can be a time sink, you know. I mean, everyone gets too much email. Yeah. There's no one listening to this thinking, Do you know, I just need more email. I need more yeah. email in my life. And and if we can find ways to get through it quicker, it's more than worth the money. People compare it. People balk at the cost like £20 a month for email when email is supposed to be free rather than thinking, would I pay £20 a month to have the amount of time I deal with email? I saw a good quote from Rory Sutherland, the kind of marketing guru guy, who said we're, we're buried in email. We spend far too much time on email and video conferencing was billed as the... The alternative to transatlantic travel, that we wouldn't mm. have to fly across to the States to go to, whereas it should have been billed as an alternative to email, to take ourselves away from those reply or group emails, yeah. just get everybody on a call and do this. 
Whereas email hasn't massively changed in the past 20 years. Whereas no. It sounds like this is a, is a step towards that. Yeah, I mean, I think Gmail is a really big step forward in that it started making email more conversational. I think this is a really big step forward because it makes email faster. Yeah. Um, so that, that's kind of how I see it. You know, the other thing that I've been doing recently in terms of communication, I can't remember where I, where I saw it, was voicemails on WhatsApp rather than text. And so instead of sending it, and it's difficult when you're on a packed train and you're like, darling, uh, I'll be home about 10 past seven. Please prepare my pajamas on the bed. You know, that's a bit uncomfortable. I'd rather send that as a text. But if you're on your own in the car, whatever, do you know what I mean? Actually sending a voicemail to your friends, to your wife, just saying, oh, this is what's going on. And it just has that extra feeling about it. Do you know what I mean? You don't lose anything in the message. It's there. And it seems to be a bit of a trend, apparently. But what do I know? Yeah, we talked about it before. Voice. Mm. Voice. Exactly. Uh, it's a better connection than text. You know, if you can yeah. hear someone's voice, you oh, can get 100%. the intonation. It's faster for the person to deliver the message. 100%. The connection is better. Yeah, hundred percent. And so the last last question before we let you get on, uh, as a podcast that focuses around people doing more good, what's your favourite story, inspiring individual that you've met on your journey that has done something good for others? Oh wow, that's a really good Oof. question. Someone, like in my entire uh, life, has done some good for others. Anybody. It doesn't have to be your favourite. I'll go back to someone I mentioned earlier, which is James Gatsby, Pete William Joseph again. He's, I mean, he's a really warm and friendly person, as lots of people in, in the sector are. But I find the way like, he kind of listens to the things that I just bring to his door and say, oh, this is difficult, this is annoying. And like the way he kind of shares a lot of that and has a lot of empathy and is really, really big on the kind of emotional side of work. Mm. So like some of the presentations he does aren't like how to build a website in 10 days or like five Facebook ad hacks you never knew. It's yeah. like, it's, it's about... It's very clickbaity. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you're writing these ideas down, go for it. That's fine. <laughs> but his are much more around the, the, you know, the support structures you should have in work, the, uh, the concept of psychological safety, which is all about, you know, feeling... Heard and understood at work means that people will do better work. Mm. And that's all about kind of workplace culture. And so, yeah, I, I, I would definitely say he does, he does a lot of good for me personally, for the people he mentors. And like I take a lot of inspiration from that sort of making sure that the emotional and personal side of digital is not forgotten in all the numbers. Good. Lovely nice. stuff. Nice way to wrap it up. Well, Matt, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure to meet you. An absolute pleasure to talk to you guys. And yeah, really enjoyed it. It feels like 10 minutes. <laughs> right, take care. We'll see you all soon. Yeah, I'm James. off to message spill about my boss at Do More Good. <laughs> Slave driver. <laughs> oh dear. I don't think he'll be offering that benefit to you anytime soon. <laughs> I don't think so. Right, good night, guys. Cheers, Cheers guys. guys. Thank Bye. you. So James just wrapped up another fantastic episode, if I don't say so myself. How did you find it? It's all right, wasn't it? <laughs> If anyone wants to kind of follow up and actually enjoy this thing, where can they find us? Well, we're on Twitter, Kenneth, at Do More Good Pod. Instagram, at Do More Good Pod. Have we gone multi-channel and even gone to YouTube? We have, but you can find all those videos on the website, domoregood.uk. And if you want to contact us by email, please use contact at domoregood.uk. 